Our text is Isaiah 53.1, but I'll read the last verse of chapter 52 as well. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Father, we ask you to be with us, to open our ears, to hear your words, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, convict hearts, that you would encourage us, and that we, your people, uh, would submit to you in all ways, and we give you thanks for what you have done and for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. Last week's word, the whole topic is suffering servant, and last week's word was remarkable. What uh, Christ was, what he brought into this world was remarkable. And yet, right on the heels of that, the first verse of uh, chapter 53, and really this goes directly with the previous three verses, the chapter split is just wrong. Uh, any, any, uh, nearly all biblical commentators would say that it was kind of an unwise way to split them up. But, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So, we go from shutting kings' mouths with what occurred, what, with what Christ accomplished, to just being ignored. It just goes from shutting mouths and shocking people to just being ignored. And yet, that is the gospel. It is so easily cast aside by people in our society. The gospel is not showy. It's not proud. It's not saying, look at me, look at me. And so there are other things that compete for our attention that do that. But what the gospel is doing is just the opposite. It's quietly whispering. It's quietly entreating you. Come to me, come to me. So now the gospel does not command so much as it entreats, it requests, it asks, it prods, it cajoles. It does those things. It is in no way oppressive. Or, and that's why really the, what comes to mind obviously is the prophecy about Christ. You know, a smoldering wick he will not put out. And that's what this is talking about. So the first verse here says, who has believed our report? Both of these questions are rhetorical. And so we begin with a rhetorical question. Who has believed our report? He's not asking for information. The writer knows the answer. And what is the answer? Who has believed our report? The answer that is implied is very few. Very few have believed our report. And the way that we know this for certain is because Paul quotes it in Romans. And I'm going to take you to Romans 10 and read where this is incorporated. Romans chapter 10, and I'll start reading at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So Paul right there tells us exactly how to interpret what was written by Isaiah so long before. The answer that he expects is very few. 
even the Israelites who profess faith in Yahweh, they didn't didn't see it, they didn't understand it, they didn't embrace God as he was meant to be embraced. Now, I want to point out one more thing here, though. Paul references that it implies unbelief, and what indicates the unbelief? When he says, but they have not all, in verse 16 in Romans 10, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So obedience is directly linked. It's the same thing in Paul's mind to where he can equate the two. So if you believe, you obey. And so that's why it's just wrong in our society to sometimes uh, allow people to get away with saying, I believe, but, you know, in terms of obedience, it's uh, like a coworker told me once that she's a smorgasbord Christian. She just basically, you know, picks it up like it's a, chart, a cart coming past her table at a, at a, at a, a dim sum feast. And she's just going to take what she likes and leave what she doesn't. That's not, that's not what belief is. Belief is wholehearted obedience. Uh, Augustine had said, love God and do what you want. So what does that mean? Does that mean then that Christians can do anything? No. Anything that's consistent with loving God. So if you love God, you'll want to please him. And so those two words, loving God, totally qualifies all of your actions on this earth. If you love God, you will obey God. Now then we have this second, uh, this second sentence. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Again, another rhetorical question. He doesn't expect you to answer. To whom of the Lord has been revealed? Now here, it's again also quoted in the New Testament. And let me read that. But I'm personally not clear that I agree with a lot of the commentators that I read on this. Now for this, we'll go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting at verse 27. I'll, I'll read quite a bit, but it's just, it's just beautiful. This is beginning with the last couple sentences of Christ speaking. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then I want to read the next verse. Therefore they could not believe 
Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So what I want to ask you is this. What is meant by the arm of the Lord? That's what understanding this text hinges on in verse 1b here. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So there are a few options for this. Arm of the Lord could be Christ. Christ is the strength of God. He is the arm of the Lord. And so then in terms of that, you can think, okay, is it, is it Christ in terms of salvation only? Or is it Christ in terms of all of what Christ stood for? Christ, after all, created our world. So what is exactly is meant? Another that commentators refer to is the arm of the Lord is the gospel which then obviously narrows it down to the salvific work of Christ. But I really have an issue with that narrowing of it because I do believe these two rhetorical questions are different in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? Very few. But to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And I want to read you another excerpt from Romans. And this is in Romans 1. Romans 1, starting at verse 16. And I'll read up through the first part of 24. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So now I believe there are two entirely consistent ways of viewing the arm of the Lord. It could be the gospel. It could be the salvific work of Christ. And in that regard, yes, few are saved. And I even quoted you that about how God hardens the heart of unbelievers. Just as when you read Genesis about Pharaoh or Exodus about Pharaoh, you read that he, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then you read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so see, that's what unbelief does. You harden yourself against God. God hardens himself against you. So see, that is consistent. But I believe it might be referring to, that arm of the Lord might be referring to God's just visibility all around us. No, no, uh, no tribe, no primitive, quote-unquote, tribe on the earth doesn't believe there's a God. Isn't that ironic? In this country, in Western culture, so learned, it's only we who have come to this realization that there is no God. Whereas all of the unlearned people all over the earth know there's a God. And, and to me, that common sense is real. That common sense is exactly what the Bible is talking about here. 
So now, regardless of whether few is meant or many are meant or even all is meant, we know that unbelieving man is without excuse. And so we know that those few that God has saved, he has saved, but yet all know of God's existence. All know they owe him allegiance. We all wrestle with different uh, meanings of what that means, but yet we know that we owe him. We know that unbelieving man is without excuse. I want to read one more little clause here from John 12:37, and it's what I just read. Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. So see, it's not just seeing that is believing. Everybody says that, seeing is believing. I once witnessed to a fellow at work, and he says, what you're really telling me is that you have a dragon in your garage. He said, why won't you take me home to see your dragon? if you've got a dragon in your garage. That was his challenge to me, his agnostic, atheistic, show me your God. And what do you do with people like that? I mean, there's just so much evidence that God exists. And so they are really foolish. They're pursuing foolishness. They're hardening themselves against God. And that's what we have here in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? The gospel was ignored in that day. The gospel is ignored in this day. Even though the concept, the forgiveness at its core shuts the mouths of kings. It's ignored because it can be, because people don't want to know the truth. Now, many people saw the miracles of Christ performed, and yet they did not believe. So why? People choose unbelief. They choose what they want. They choose this, they choose that, just like that smorgasbord that I mentioned earlier. They think rejection of Christ frees them from the reality of the consequences of not believing in Christ. They believe they can control reality, but yet we know that the Bible is truth, and we know that one day every knee will bow at uh, the, uh, at the uh, presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. And so when we come to the table, we are not ignoring God. We are thanking him for having made himself known to us, for having saved us from our sins and cast all of that apart from us that separated us until then. And so he overcame our unbelief, our willingness, our hard-heartedness by taking that sin and abolishing it by the blood of Christ. So as we come to the table, we thank God for this, for having not remained... Um, have, uh, not allowing us to remain apart from him as was our deepest heart's desire. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you exist and your uh, fingerprints and, and your, the proof, the evidence of your work is just all over the earth. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have done this. And we thank you that you have done so much more uh, that through Christ you have shut the mouths of kings. You have opened up forgiveness as a fountain to all who will hear, to all who will come. And we thank you, Father, for this table that is a memorial of that, of that that is a commemoration of that, that is a promise of what we will one day have in heaven uh, again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.